him have faith in God. That's our theme today, having faith. Let's stand together and sing, come, let us worship our King. Let's bow before the great King and Lord God. 
Lord, we come before you, you alone today. You alone are worthy of our praise. And Lord, we just, uh, we want to put all of our minds, attention, all of our hearts, affection on you in these next few moments. Uh, Lord, you deserve our praise. And uh, Lord, we are glad to bring it because there is no one more worthy. And we just want to bow before your presence today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. If you would uh, grab one of the uh, connection cards and please uh, please fill that out. We always ask if you're maybe a first or second time guest with us. We would love to know who you are and how we can minister to you. So please fill that out. Put that in the offering plate. I, uh, the power of my... Uh, announcing ability is is pretty extraordinary. Last, uh, if I do say so myself, and I just did, uh, last Sunday, I asked you if you had any new information to be sure and put a new email address or phone number and stuff like that so you could get our church information. You know how many people did that? One. So I'm, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to ask that again. But if you, if you ever do need to update your information, be sure and put it on there, and we'll, we'll be faithful to get that, uh, get that done for you, okay? So please, please do that. Hey, today's theme, as we talked about, is faith in Christ. And man, we can, there, there's nothing greater than to know when we put our faith in Christ, it is perfectly solid. Amen? He is the solid rock. Let's sing together. My hope built on nothing less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Oh 
old chorus about trusting in Christ. Learning to lead, learning to lead. I'm learning to lead on Jesus. Finding more power than I've ever dreamed. I'm learning to lead on Jesus. I'm learning to lead, learning to lead. I'm learning to lead on Jesus, finding more power than I ever dreamed. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Amen. As we learn to put more faith in Christ, learn to lean harder on Christ, we know that our faith is not misplaced. Amen. It is in the perfect object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. This next hymn says this so beautifully. Let's sing it with such conviction today. My faith. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall Go ahead and be seated. 
Well, in this world, we're always faced with the temptation to cheapen the grace of God. Amen? And this poem says just that. We've uh, updated for inflation. I would like to buy 20 bucks worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy 20 bucks worth of God, please. So now let's allow this next song to move us from a man-centered, narcissistic view of the eternal to a biblical view of the eternal, okay? What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our Oh 
bow to go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Lord, help us that our thoughts would be formed by Scripture, not our own sinful nature. Lord, help us to resist the temptation of being a $20 worth of God believer to being a Christ, our hope in life and death believer. Guide our hearts and our minds to understand your eternal truths today. And it's in Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Well, I greatly appreciate Brother David choosing songs that help put our hearts and minds on the text of Scripture before us. Him uh, leading in learning to lean. Boy, that brought back a lot of memories. Long time. It's been a long time since I heard that song. It also reminds me of another one I want to begin with. It's called Wonderful Words of Life. It was written by Philip Bliss in 1874. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty teach me faith and duty. Listen to verse 2. Christ the blessed one gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinner, list or listen to the loving call, wonderful words of life, also freely given, wooing us to heaven. Sweetly echo the gospel call. That's third verse, right? Wonderful words of life, offer pardon and peace to all. Wonderful words of life, Jesus only Savior. Amen, right? Think about the theology. Sanctify forever. And then beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. So much doctrine found in that particular song. And so, as we've been studying, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Is not that not the wonderful words of life? It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that transforms lives. There's a man that's called the Prince of Preachers. His name is Charles Spurgeon, and he actually lived during the same time frame that this particular song by Philip Bliss was written. And so Spurgeon lived from 1834 to 1892, and he is referred to as the Prince of Preachers, and I want to remind you, he was also a Baptist, okay? He was a Baptist. Uh, the SBC began in 1845 in Augusta, Georgia, so you know that Spurgeon's life and ministry encompassed that particular time frame. Just a side note for Midwestern Seminary, it has the largest Spurgeon library in the world, right here in your state. All you got to do is drive up to the campus of Midwestern, and you can go in this library. You could check out as many as 6,000 volumes. About uh, Dr. Allen has done a phenomenal job to help young preachers learn to preach, and what better person to listen to than Charles Spurgeon. Now, I said all that as an aside, and I'm sure Dr. Allen would appreciate me telling you that about Midwestern, but we began our sermon last week with an excerpt from Spurgeon's work called All of Grace to begin that particular understanding of grace. Now let me do the same when we're talking today about faith as the means or instrument of our salvation. Here's what Spurgeon says. Remember this, or you may fall into error by fixing your mind so much upon faith which is the channel of salvation, as to forget the grace which is the fountain and source 
even of faith itself. Faith is the work of God's grace in us. No man can say that Jesus is Christ but by his Holy Spirit. No man can come to me, says Jesus, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. John 6.44 So faith, which is coming to Christ, is the result of divine drawing. Grace is the first and last moving cause of salvation. And faith, essential as it is, is only an important part of the machinery which grace actually employs. Faith occupies the position of a channel or a conduit pipe. Grace is the fountain and the stream. Faith is the aqueduct along which the flood of mercy flows down to refresh the thirsty souls of men. Spurgeon goes on to say, I again remind you that faith is only the channel and not the fountainhead, and we must not look so much to it as to exalt it above the divine source of all blessing, which lies in the grace of God. Listen to this statement. SBC life is guilty of this the last 50 years. Never make a Christ out of your faith. Nor think of as it were the independent source of your salvation. Our life is found in looking unto Jesus, not looking to our own faith. By faith all things become possible to us, yet the power is not in the faith, but in the God upon whom faith relies. Grace is the powerful engine. And faith is the chain by which the carriage of the soul is attached to the great motive power. The righteousness of faith is not the moral excellence of faith, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which faith grasps and appropriates. The peace within the soul is not derived from the contemplation of your own faith, but it comes to us from him who is our peace. The hem of whose garment faith touches and virtue comes out of him and into our souls. Man, why do you think they called him the prince of preachers, right? No question about it. Now, is it not vital for us to understand how grace and faith and the gospel actually works in us? Folks, we're talking about something as serious as life and life eternal. It would behoove all of us to stop long enough to think about these particular principles. So today we'll examine faith as the means or instrument. Now, during the Reformation, the Reformers saw a necessity to understand the difference between the source of salvation, the ground of salvation, and the means of salvation. So for hundreds of years, this became the predominant issue they were dealing with. Why? Because it was actually an obscuring of these elements that led to a concept of a works-based righteousness in the medieval church. Right? That you could work your way to a righteousness and therefore works-based righteousness. Now the question is, how do we distinguish between those elements of our salvation? Well, we learned last week that God's grace is the source of our salvation. Is that not clear? For by grace are we saved. What does it encompass? According to Ephesians 2, uh, beginning in verse 4, it encompasses the mercy and the love of God reaching out to the ill-deserved. That's what the text tells us. How does God demonstrate that grace toward us? Well, it started before you were ever a dot on the map. Ephesians 1.4 says that He chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. So that grace was demonstrated toward you before the foundation of the world. But it was also demonstrated for you 
actively in the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he bore your sins in his body on the tree. That is God's grace extended to you. But don't stop short. His grace was also demonstrated toward you when you actually came to faith in Christ. So that is grace. Uh, There are so many verses. Uh, Again, let me remind you to get you up to speed. Romans 3.24. If you can't get there, don't worry about it. Listen clearly. Write it down and go back and read it. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Y'all hear it plainly? We are justified by His grace. 5.15 of Romans. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, one man's trespass, i.e. Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Do you hear the text of Scripture? And perhaps one of my favorites, and I'm skipping many of them, would be found in Titus. Titus chapter 3, 5 through 6. Listen to the word of the Lord. He saved us not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So I hope you hear it and hear it clearly that we can say without any reservation That we are saved by grace alone. That is the source. Sola gratia. By grace. Sola gratia. We are saved by grace alone. Clearly, that is what the Word of God teaches us. Now, second question. What is the ground of our salvation? Well, the Reformers would use a term called material cause. If the source is the grace of God wrapped up in mercy and love toward us then the ground is Jesus Christ himself and his life and death and burial and resurrection on our behalf, but don't stop short, and the obedience of Christ to all the demands of righteousness. Now, track with me. Don't zone out, okay? This is so vitally important for us to think about. It's critically important. Our salvation is in Christ alone. He is the ground. It is His blood atonement. Again, we can flip back to Romans, which I will read a lot there in Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Listen clearly to the word. You know this verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now verse 24. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is the ground of our salvation? The redemption that is in the person. And work of the redemption of Jesus Christ alone. Uh, so we, when we start talking about faith we need to, or grace, we need to make sure we get these things in order and properly understand our salvation. God's grace is the source, but the ground is the redeeming work. Christ shedding his blood, but also his righteousness. Listen to 5.19 of Romans. This is so important. The Bible says, For as by the one man's disobedience... The many were made righteous, I mean made sinners. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Do you see the connection? Jesus Christ lived in complete fulfillment of the law and never one time sinned. You did not. You were a sinner from birth. 
right? So understand, not only is it the blood atonement of Christ that saves you, that's the ground, his work, his person. Please don't miss this. You're saved by Christ, his person, and his work. That's the only way anybody's ever saved. It is by grace, but it is in the person and work of Christ. Now, we're reminded in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He that knew no sin became sin for us that the righteousness of God might be in us. Are you understanding? It's the redemption, that's the work of the singular person Christ, but also that righteousness that he lived in complete obedience to his Father and never one time sinning. Without his obedience, there's no salvation for us because when the Father looks at you, if you're redeemed, redeemed, he sees the completed obedience of you. But not because you did it, but because Jesus did it. So think about it this way. Christ's death atones for your sin, but Christ's righteousness alone grants your acceptance before God. That's the way redemption works. So is everybody tracking? We've got the, we've got the source, for by grace are you saved. And we have the ground, which is the person of Jesus Christ and his work for us. That's salvation. Okay, that's, that's the gospel. Now, we could say that we are saved solus Christus, right? Sola gratia, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone, and then in Christ alone are we actually saved. That is the teaching of the Word of God. So, here's the question. What about the means? And the means, of course, is what? Faith. I hope you heard that coming from Spurgeon. Words like channel, aqueduct. He's teaching us the instrumentality of faith. And so Ephesians 2, listen to the word of the Lord today. For by grace you have been saved through faith. We learned last week that this is in the present tense, a verb, but also a past perfect participle. So it's bringing forth, a you, for by grace you having been saved, or you are saved but with continuous action. It's a lot to say in English, but that's exactly what it's saying. And then the text says through faith. So here's our point today. We are saved through faith and not works. Now, I won't get to the not works part today. Okay, we're just going to deal with faith. Now, if I were to ask you, how are you saved? And you said to me, I am saved by faith. There is a sense in which that is correct. Okay? But technically, a person is saved in only one way. And that's in Christ. You understand that you can have faith and not have faith in Christ. Now, this ought to go without saying, but sometimes we forget about it. If we want to be technical, a person is saved in only one way, and that's by Christ. Not by your faith. You are saved by Christ. I got an amen from a sister. Any of you men brazen enough to say anything? Right? You're not saved by your faith. You are saved by Christ and Him alone. Faith is the instrument or the means of salvation. So, the consistent testimony of the Word of God throughout it, throughout the corpus of Scripture, is that it is an instrument unto salvation. Faith is not the source of salvation. God doesn't save you because you have faith. Faith is not the ground of your salvation. God does not save you because He looks at you and says, Ah, he or she is righteous. You're therefore saved. No, it's not the ground, okay? 
Now, I heard, her pastor, I, heard, I heard a pastor once try to explain this to kids. Kids, you want to understand faith as an instrument? Anybody? Well, here's a shot at it, and I get it. Analogies break down often, but you need food to live, right? Some of you are already thinking about Godfathers. You're already thinking about El Charo or wherever you're going to eat, right? We need food. Why? Because food is the nourishment by which we live. If we don't eat, and you don't eat long enough, you're going to die, right? So it requires that you do something with food before you actually get the nourishment from the food. And what do you do to get it? You must eat it to get the nourishment from it. You need to chew it and swallow it. And so think about this. If your parents set the meal before you, would that meal save you? you got to eat it. Are you tracking with me? The nourishment derived from the food because you've eaten it, in a sense, becomes the ground for your physical life. Food equals maintaining life, living. So you've placed it in your mouth, you chewed it up, and you swallowed it, and then the enzymes go to work in your digestive tract, and it's sent through your body. It gives you what you need to maintain life and health, right? Food, eating it, maintaining life. Now, how do you get the food from the plate into your mouth? Be careful, kids. I know how most of you kids probably eat. <laughs> Hands, right? Well, you get it, risking the analogy, it is by a fork or a spoon. Now, if you were starving and you pulled up to the table and you devoured that meal with your fork or spoon, would you not say, or would you say, oh, the fork saved me? Would you? No, the fork was the instrument to get the food from the plate into your mouth, into your stomach, and into your body. You would not sing praises to the fork, would you? You would praise your mom for the delicious meal, and you would thank Lord, the Lord God Almighty for the nutrients in that food. So in this way, in this analogy, the fork is the instrument. In the same way, the Bible teaches us that faith is the instrument by which we are saved. We need to understand this clearly taught from the Word of God. Again, I'm going to camp in Romans a lot. Romans chapter 3. Listen, listen to the Word of the Lord. Clearly. 325. Whom God puts forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by, say it, faith. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, if you skip down to 5.1, therefore since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Moving out of Ephesians and landing in Galatians, this is a very important one. Galatians chapter 2, if I can get there. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16. Now, I'm, excuse me, that's 3.16, that wouldn't work. 2.16 Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. So faith is the instrument by which we possess the salvation that is given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, the big question is, where does the fork come from? And I'm not telling you today. 
We'll talk about that next week when we talk about the source of faith. It is not as if we're saying, last week we were saved by grace, and this week you're called by God to contribute your faith. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that salvation is all of grace. The source of salvation is grace. The ground of salvation is Christ alone. In other words, it's not saying if you don't contribute your faith. that We're not into that mode at this point. We're in the mode of, for by grace are you saved through faith. So the instrument or means of salvation is faith alone. Now, question. Why does God tell us that if you're going to be saved, it's by grace through faith? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Don't look at me so spiritual. The, the balcony people are the most spiritual, right? Yep. Andrea gave me the thumbs up. She agrees. Why, why is that? Why did God not say, well, you're saved by grace plus a lot of love? Why did he say, why did he not say, you're saved by grace and lots of love, or grace through lots of tears, or grace through remorse and regret for your sins? Now, are those things important in the Christian life? Yes, I would remind you they are, but they come as a result of salvation. Okay? If you're properly mourning over your sins, you can only do that if you're properly right with God. Right? Okay. So, are these things important? Yes. How about we are saved by grace plus our works? How about we're saved by grace and keeping the Ten Commandments? Well, God has established grace has established that salvation by grace must always and will always be through faith. Faith is the appropriate means and a compatible instrument to salvation. If God is going to save by grace, get this, then he must save through faith. If he's going to save by grace, he must save through faith. And there's a reason for this. Do you remember what Paul said about the gospel? Yes, back in Romans. Some of you are sleeping on me. Wake your eyes. I got some toothpicks in my pocket, right? Romans, you need to hear this. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Check this out. Incredible verse. For in it, for in what? The gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And how does that revelation come to us? How do we see that revelation? And how do we embrace that revelation? How do we partake of that revelation? It is from faith for faith. No amens? It's faith in the beginning. It's faith in the middle. And it's faith in the end. The gospel of the righteousness of God is compatible only with faith. This is why Paul can say what he said a little later in Romans. Chapter 4, verse 16. I know I'm going fast, but trust me, this is the word of the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 16. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. It must be by faith. So this is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all the offspring. Grace and faith are joined, folks, as the means in how God saves us. 
Because if he's going to save sinners and he's going to exalt his own righteousness and he's going to give him his own glory into the picture, then he has to save us in a way that does not obscure that glory. If we said we were saved by grace and lots of love, who shares in the glory? If we said salvation is by grace through the works of the law, then who's going to be the one getting the wage? Right? The glory of our God will not be divided. He will receive the glory for saving lost sinners. That's why the text will say a little later that you can't do it by works lest you should boast. Because I can tell every one of you in this place, if you could work for your salvation, you'd boast in it. You know why? Because you're a person. You're a human being, and that's going to be your natural inclination. God says, I will save by grace through faith. Why? Because faith is compatible to grace because it has to have a conscious rejection of our own works and our own self-sufficiency and our own merit and our own value, and you have to rest your hope in Jesus only. That's why salvation is by grace through faith. So if grace is to be exalted, if God's Son is to be magnified and God is to receive all the glory, then a sinner must come to the point where he says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Faith rejects anything we could possibly bring to the table. And we say, Lord, I'm casting myself completely upon you. Faith is the empty hand that brings nothing but takes everything. Faith is also the conscious focus upon God's grace in Christ. Don't fall short. In this case, faith is single-eyed. You have a single focus on the Lord in which you have faith in. Folks, I can't emphasize this enough. Churches are dying in our country. You know why? Because our churches are full of unregenerate lost people. Why? Because this, maybe they prayed a prayer after VBS. But folks, that prayer does not save you. Jesus Christ saves you. Right? And so think about where we are now. We are not resting upon what we've done. We're not resting upon what we can bring. We're not resting upon what we can do. We we come to him with a single-eyed focus on the fact that God is saving me through Christ Jesus and the source of his grace. So in other words, we begin to see Christ as completely desirable. Now I want to ask you a question. I hope you, you didn't get saved unless you saw him that way. But how desirable is he for you today? Less desirable? I mean, really we need to do some introspection at this point, don't we? Faith sees Jesus Christ as completely desirable. It puts its faith 100%, not anything we bring, but we trust in God's trustworthiness, right? All that faith does and all that faith is, is Godward in Christ. So in other words, saving faith has to have its object. And the only object that saves is the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is him and him alone. All that faith does, all that faith is, is Godward in Christ. So saving faith is fixated. It's enamored with the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. You know what faith is? It's the posture of a beggar who, realizing that he has nothing to offer, hangs his helpless soul on Christ alone. Now, that's faith as the means. Let's ask the second question. What is the nature of saving faith? If faith is the means, then let's ask the question, what is the nature of saving faith? Well, you know, the Bible's clear that there's varying degrees of faith in the Bible. How about the parable of the soils? Now, you call that belief, you call that whatever you want to call it. The fact of the matter is, 
there's faith there. But it's faith that is only temporary, except for the one who received the word of God. Right? How about James? There's even the faith of the demons. But that doesn't save. If you move on in the book of James, you'll find out that there's a faith that does not save and a faith that does not work. Right? So, I think the nature of saving faith is vitally important. It's important to address two errors that we could easily fall into on that spectrum of the nature of faith. One is the era of easy believism. Or we might call it decisional regeneration. I made a decision. Well, this era that looks at faith as merely decisional, it sees faith as a mental assent to propositional truth, claims that we might call the gospel, right? This kind of faith is often divorced from repentance. It's divorced and void of obedience and works. It's this kind of faith consistently divorces the saviorhood of Christ and his lordship, okay? This is not true saving faith. Just because you made a decision doesn't mean you're a Christian. And when you put so much emphasis on decision or regeneration, let me give you an example of that. Fill the tank Sunday. What in the world are we doing as Southern Baptists? We've lost our minds to say, oh, this is going to be baptism day. What does that encourage people to do? Well, let's just get wet. But did you trust in the person of Christ? If you did not, then that's not saving faith. Right? You see what I'm saying? That's called easy believism. There's another kind on the other end of the spectrum that's equally dangerous. It is to say that there are certain preconditions of faith. In other words, it looks at people and says, well, you got to have a certain amount of conviction uh, in order to warrant belief. You have to have so many evidences of God's grace working in you before the warrant actually to believe. Well, that's dangerous too. Because God can save you right now on this spot. He can open your eyes and give you faith, responding to the grace of God and save you immediately with no preconditions. Right? That's what happened to Lydia on the riverbank when the Bible says in Acts 16.44 that the Lord opened her heart to give attention to what Paul was preaching. God can open anyone's heart and mind and save them instantaneously. He can. What is the biggest danger in our day? Easy believism or the spectrum of adding conditions to it? Well, you don't meet too many people today that add conditions. The big thing that's dangerous today is easy believism. Okay? Now, let me give you a classic definition of faith. Faith is a whole-souled movement of self-commitment to Christ for salvation from sin and its consequences. That was the old theologian John Murray's classic definition. Faith is a whole-souled movement of self-commitment to Christ for salvation from sin and its consequences. Think about this, a whole-souled movement. There's a new direction now, and it involves your whole soul. And you are completely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's resting in Christ. It's embracing all that he is. Now, question, does it involve the mind? Does faith involve the mind? You, yes, you better believe it. Is it even possible to have faith without the exercise of your mind? It is the mind that comprehends the gospel. And it sees the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you one of my favorite texts in the scripture. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Track with me. Listen closely to the word of God. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did he say that? At creation. Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as he created creation by speaking light out of darkness, he speaks to a heart the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and the mind is open, and the sinner beholds the beauty and glory of Christ, and he begins to see truth, and he begins to see the gospel. We begin to understand that he can pardon the vilest offender, amen, who truly believes. Yet faith is more than just the mental apprehension of the gospel of Christ. Folks, just don't stop there. It's not just the propositional truth that Jesus died for sinners that saves. We can say that truth all day long. But it's more than just the mental assent. Then it involves the will, doesn't it? It is the will that ends up embracing the truth. And we sense conviction. We embrace with the will the things that are true. He is Savior. And He is Lord. And He's mine. That's what happens when you're saved. So this is what Paul describes in the gospel as it came to the Thessalonians. Listen to chapter 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God... That he has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Something that entered the mind and you were able to see the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ of which you didn't see before God opened your mind and heart. Then now you begin to experience him with your will. In other words, you begin to say, this gospel is for me. It's, It's not just a propositional truth that's out there somewhere. Jesus Christ died for me. Right? He is mine and I am his. The Christ who died for sinners is my only hope, right, in this life. And I lay hold of him. That's the will. But faith also involves the affections. The Bible knows nothing about a gospel that does not penetrate the affections. When the sinner mentally apprehends the beauty and glory of Christ, and he embraces who Christ is, then his heart is filled with joy and satisfaction. You know why? The search is over. Amen? You've met the suitable Savior that satisfies you. Why do you think Jesus said this? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man finds it and covers it up. And for the joy that was before him, he went and sold everything to buy that field. He gave up everything to buy that field. Why? Because his affections for the kingdom of God, well, the king himself has moved his affections. The joy. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, take of me. If you're thirsty, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. That's why he says these things, because it moves the affections. It changes us forever. Listen to these verses. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Does this touch your heart? Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the very outcome of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Folks, listen. One of the tragedies in church life today is that we have made divisions where there should be no divisions. We say faith is a mental thing. And affections may come sometime down the line. Uh, we say, well, affections are, affections are not important. Folks, that's a lie. When Jesus Christ saves your soul, he changes your will. He changes your affections. And that's why I don't understand how Baptists can come into a church if you're truly saved and never open your mouth and sing. What? That makes no sense to me. Maybe I'm missing something. Right? Maybe I just never got over my salvation like you did. Hello? 
I mean, most of us have gotten over our salvation. We've forgotten about our affections that should be moved for God. So, you don't just believe with your brain. Folks, you believe with everything you are. It's a treasure that you'll give up everything you have and go buy it. As we examine the nature of saving faith, we quickly realize that faith has a spouse. Do y'all know that faith is married? What's the spouse? Repentance. Faith is married and it has a spouse. So faith is one side of the coin and repentance is the other. Where there, where there is true faith, folks, there will be true repentance. You say, Pastor, how do you know? Glad you ask. Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Listen to what Paul says about faith and repentance. You want time to get there? Better turn fast. Bible drill 101. Acts 20, verse 21. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice how Paul has put the two of these together? All right, the next text, and I'll explain this, chapter 26, verse 17 and 18. Here's Paul recounting the gospel ministry and what God had called him to do. And listen to the order. Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from your Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Who told him this? Jesus. I'm sending you to open their eyes, order, open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here's the deal. What is he recounting? I'm sending you to open their eyes, that they will turn to darkness, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place with those who are sanctified by faith in me. So as he does this, here's what he's reminding you. To turn from darkness would be repentance. To turn to light would be faith. To turn from Satan would be, come on folks, repentance. To turn to God would be faith. To the Thessalonians, again, perhaps the best verse of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. Paul says, we know what manner of entry we had to you, how that you turned to God from idols. Now, I want to ask you a question. If they would have said, Paul, we're ready to turn to God, but we want to keep our idols. What would Paul have said about their faith? It's not true saving faith. Unless you turn to God from your idols. Y'all getting it? That's how repentance and faith are the same coin, but with different sides. Paul would say that's not true saving faith. True faith by necessity requires a turning away from something. And where there is faith, there is repentance. Where there is true repentance, there is true faith. Faith and repentance have some offspring. Faith and repentance are married. But when God's saving grace through faith and repentance meets your heart and saves you, opens your eyes, gives you life, he made you alive, right? Then what's going to be the result? Well, there's some babies from the offspring. There's offspring of faith and repentance. And here they are. Examine your own heart. The first one is called obedience. Anybody obeying Christ today? Are y'all getting this sermon? Am I the only one hearing it? Listen, obedience Twice in Romans, Paul says he received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. 
for the sake of his name among the nations. He's going to say it again in 1626. He says, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about obedience of faith. Folks, do you realize when you're saved, it's called obedience of faith, but the obedience doesn't stop right there. If you're truly saved, you've got offspring of repentance and faith. And that offspring is that you have a desire to obey Jesus Christ. Can't serve God and mammon. Right? If Jesus is Lord, folks, he's Lord, period. And he's the one that you ought to obey. Look, best way I can say it to you. If you've really had true saving repentance and faith, and you've received the grace of God, then there's no such thing as being an a, a, a Christian that does not obey God. Now, are you going to stumble and fall? Absolutely. My nose has a permanent upturn of how many times I busted my face on the ground before the Lord. But down deep, your desire is not to obey the flesh, but to obey God. Right? So obedience. How about this offspring? Does anybody know what the next one is? Faith. How about, um, excuse me, obedience. How about work? Well, folks, surely you've read verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For you are his workmanship, created by Christ Jesus unto good works, which God foreordained that you should walk in them. Do you know, folks, if you're saved, your works before God are predestined? God ordained them before time. So if there's no works, then there's no salvation. James says, show me your faith, and I'll show you works. Show me a faith that's dead or has no works, I'll show you a salvation that's not there. Right? Faith without works is dead. Here it is. Again, Thessalonian Christians, Paul saw their work of faith, their labor of love. And again, we can't get any clearer than chapter 2, verse 10. Now, again, faith and repentance will produce the offspring of work, and that's good works. Think about the controversy during the Reformation. Rome had the idea that righteousness comes as a result of faith plus works. The reformer said, no way, that, that equation is wrong. It is faith unto righteousness that leads one to work. So, the reformers uh, never denied the necessity of works. They simply put it in the right relationship. You're not saved by works, folks. You're saved by grace through faith unto works. That God foreordained that you should walk in them. I've got one more offspring. Does anybody know what it is? Come on, folks. Obedience. Work and it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love! How's the world going to know that you are his disciples? Come on, folks. It's love, right? That's the offspring. Paul says, for in Christ, neither circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. Listen to this. But only faith working through love. A whole chapter is written about using your gifts in the church by love. We use 1 Corinthians at weddings. That's not the primary meaning. The primary meaning is you're just a clanging cymbal. You're just beating on an instrument. If you think that you can use your gift in the church and not love, love God and love one another, right? So this is love that's given to us. So faith, married repentance, and here they have three children. Obedience, work, and love. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. When you have saving faith, you get the whole clan. You get the wife and all the children. Right? That's what true repentance and salvation looks like. What is the object of saving faith? It is Christ in his person and work. The object of true saving faith is Jesus Christ, who, and who he is and what he has done. Now, people often teach that faith in, Je- 
that faith is just believing that Jesus died for sins or your sins. Folks, the object of salvation is not that propositional truth that Jesus died for sinners. The object of saving faith is Jesus Christ himself. You are believing in a person, not a proposition. Christ himself in his person and in his work is the object of our faith. If all you do is have to acknowledge propositional truth that Jesus died for our sins, then all we need to do is educate people to give us the proper response and think everything's okay. But if you haven't trusted in Christ Jesus, then you're not saved. Is propositional truth important? You better believe it's important. What I'm trying to teach you is that you're saved through the person and work of Christ himself. There are a lot of people who can regurgitate gospel truth, but they're not saved. The demons know gospel truth, right? So, saving faith is not just believing in the propositional truth. You must believe in the person and work of Christ Jesus. The believing sinner looks at Christ as all-sufficient and the all-suitable Savior. The Savior suits me, my needs, my sins, and my failures. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful? Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus exactly suits us sinners. I don't like acrostics, but I like that one. He is the only suitable Savior. He's a Savior that perfectly suits me. That's what you come to when you trust Christ. Benjamin Warfield says, The saving power of faith does not reside in itself, but in the Almighty Savior on whom it rests. It's faith in Jesus. Here's the good news. You are invited from Holy Scriptures to believe. You are compelled to believe in Christ alone. It's not just a a suggestion. It's a command. You're compelled in the Bible to believe that Jesus Christ alone saves us from our sins. You are called to believe that Jesus Christ can save you from your sins. For God loved the world in this manner. That he gave his only unique son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said, truly I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 20, 31 says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you will be saved. Unbeliever, repent of your unbelief and believe in Christ Jesus. If you do, the God of heaven promises to receive you into himself and clothe you with the righteousness that is not your own, but it is the righteousness of God's own Son, by which no man will ever see the Father, right? There are no conditions to meet other than to see your own need and the all-sufficient Savior who perfectly is suitable to save you. If you're an unbeliever this morning, I point you to Jesus Christ, God's own Son. For invitation, I want you to listen to an excerpt of a sermon by Alistair Begg. Look, no moving, no zipping up your Bibles. You know, pastors love that when the choir used to sit behind us. You'd hear the Bible zip up, zip, zip, right during the invitation, right? Uh, Alistair Begg is the pastor of Cleveland Parkside Church. And I, I really want you to listen attentively. To this three and a half minutes. Are y'all with me? This is the invitation. Okay, here we go. 
without the preaching of the cross, without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend, You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never. You didn't know a thing about church membership, and and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, like, cause I don't know. Well, you know, did you? Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So, wait, just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Actually, I've never heard of it in my life. And and what about? And let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the justice satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther said most of your Christian life is outside of you. In this sense, that we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved.
Folks, do you know the Lord? Not your profession, but in Christ Jesus alone for your salvation. Mm, pretty serious thing, folks. The most important thing in all of life. Don't you love it? The man on the middle cross said I could come. By just the words, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Hey, that's grace. Amen. If you don't know Christ, today is a day of salvation. Trust him only for your salvation. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing. Brother David, would you lead us? My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his wounds for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Enough for me that Jesus saves, this ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him, he'll never cast me out. I need no other argument, I need no other it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We're going to sing another verse, but this is Steve and Tanya Locke. Yes. And they want to stand before you today and tell you this is the place that they believe God is sending them to serve and to join this faith community here at First Baptist Ozark. Uh, they'll be coming to us by a transfer of letter uh, from a sister, Southern Baptist Church. I didn't tell you this, but there is a membership class, and I know you're willing to go through it with your pastor, aren't you? This <laughs> means yes. Amen. And so we're going to do that on a Wednesday night, and we ask everybody to do that for discipleship. You can join and then take it, or you can take it, then join. And a lot of our folks have taken that class. It's four weeks on a Wednesday night, or I can come to your home and help you no matter what. But uh, we just ask that to make sure we're on the same page. Amen. But what a blessing it is to have the Locke family join us. And we're going to let you go back there with Don and Bruce and let people greet you as they go out. Their faces are familiar because they've been coming quite a while. Amen. Amen. All right, let's sing one more verse. My heart is leaning on the word, the living word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Well, amen. Hallelujah. Next week, we'll talk about not of works, lest any man should boast. This is not of yourself. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. We'll talk about that. I promise you we're going to pick up steam when we get to verse 11, okay? But these things are so vitally important. Amen? Grace and faith and grounded in Christ. Such good, important doctrinal truths. But we will pick up steam when we get to chapter 2, verse 11. But we've got some great things to look at throughout the book of Ephesians. Well, Jeffrey needs prayer.
all the time. James needs prayer this week. Uh, Danielle's going. Betsy's going. Who else? Counselors. Jennifer Metcalf's going. So I'm going to almost be staffless this week, right? I guess me and Don and David will hold down the fort. <laughs> As I said, me and David and jo- No, I'm kidding. Blake's not going. Amen. So, but pray for them. You know, there's always the COVID thing hanging over us. And, uh, man, I am so thankful that you're not scared out of your minds. And people are here today at Amen. church, trusting the Lord God. Uh, we need to prevent as much as we can prevent in our power. But, folks, ultimately, God's vaccine is a whole lot better than anybody else's, right? So we need to just pray for protection. But they go off in the morning to camp. Let's pray the Lord will speak to their hearts. Uh, the There'll be a pastor or a leader speaking every day to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and living the Christian life. So we pray for all of them as they leave in the morning. Amen? All right. And pray for those counselors for sure. They need it with our kids. Okay. Any announcement we may have missed, David? Well, just instead of a closing closing song, uh, those parents and grandparents that want to see the highlights of Vacation Bible School, which, by the way, God bless Jennifer and Cindy and all the workers that pulled that off this week. They did a fantastic job. Uh, We got some highlights here if you want to see those about two and a half minutes long. Won't keep you long. God bless. There's nothing greater, it's all I'll ever need and more. I found a treasure, endless joy and perfect peace, sent down from heaven, now made alive inside of me. Jesus satisfies.